The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Season 2 of Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is the oldest, largest and most diverse national retail body, representing a $360 billion sector which employs 1.3 million Australians. As Australia's peak retail body, representing more than 100,000 retail shop fronts and online stores, the ARA informs, advocates, educates, protects and unifies our independent, national and international retail community. 95% of our membership is small business, who are our focus for Season 2. Small business is big business. In this season, we'll be getting to know the people behind small businesses that are the lifeblood of so many of our communities. We'll be chatting to industry leaders who are shaping the small business landscape and learning more about the digital innovations that are driving them to success. Joining me for some retail therapy in the Amex Lounge today is Dean Salakas, owner of The Party People, which stocks the largest range of party supplies in Australia, with over 25,000 products, ranging from theme decorations to balloons and costumes. It's a wonderful family business success story. Dean owns the company with his brother Peter, their mother Marla, started it in a home-based business hosting and catering for kids' birthday parties. It's grown to be Australia's largest party store based in Dremoyne in Sydney's inner west. I'm delighted to have Dean with me today to talk about his career in small business. Dean, welcome. Thanks, Paul. Good to be here. The Party People has a great backstory founded by your mother who used to dress up as Patches the Clown for kids' birthday parties. It was a small home-based business. Tell us a bit about those memories and where the business all began. Yeah, it is a a fun story. I always love telling it, but um, yeah, I mean... I mean, I grew up with my mum as a clown, which uh, back then I used to get teased actually for it in school. But, um, you know, I worked in the family business and, you know, now kind of, you know, being in, a, in, a, in the party store business. And, you know, that, I guess that's a badge of honour now, having gone through all of that. And, um, you know, great memories of growing up and my mum making me work, you know, slave labour for five cents a, a piece for doing things and um, in my school holidays and weekends and, yeah, no, it was, look, I learned a lot of life lessons um, through that experience, I think, and it really set me on course for building a career in retail, and uh, we might talk about that later, I'm not sure, but we, you know, I went off track and did a few other things before taking over the family business, but I reckon, you know, definitely that that family atmosphere and um, being put hard at work to earn almost no money actually gave me some good lessons and, and you know, some good uh, you know, background in, in retail. Well, Dean, I guess when your mum dresses up as a clown for a living, it must have been a pretty fun household to grow up in. <laughs> it was, it was actually. We had all the the magic tricks at home and all that. We knew how they all worked, so it was kind of a bit of a downer. <laughs> these kids' parties, and you'd be like, "I know how that works," you know. But 
was it was a absolutely so so the the thing I, I guess I'm just wanting to make sure that you your wage has been increased since it the has. last time it has it's gone up to ten cents now has it it has it has and they do a bit of work for us now we don't pay them those days. well that's good well there's retribution <laughs> this is what you call modern slavery in action I take it so, um, so tell me a little bit about the the family background your nationality what what was like being um, you know, uh, as a kid in a small business and, you know, working off a kitchen table, in, in fact, and, you know, what it was like um, uh, back then, because uh, clearly we'll get to talk about how big the business is now, but um, it must have been a real sense of um, camaraderie, act- actually, and maybe a bit of survival, actually, into making sure that um, business was going okay. Yeah, it was. Look, it was a real family business in, in the true sense. Like, we, you know, obviously, as, a, as a, I think from memory, about four years old, I was, I was putting sand in bags they would use as weight to weigh balloons down on the tables right? Uh, for five cents a sandbag. And, you know, like it was a whole family business. So, like, when, when it came to big jobs, and we did some big TV stuff and things like that even back then, and, um, you know, the whole family would get involved, the extended family, the grandparents, the, the cousins, the, you know, the 50 cousins were there. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> it was that kind of business. And, yeah, I mean, definitely we learn a lot through that because, you know, everyone just got in and got the job done. When it's a family business, you just – you don't, you know, there's not so much, um, you know, you don't measure things and think about yes. how much work you're doing and all that. You just get in there and get it done because it's for the family, not for, for work. Um, and so you had that, I guess, that work ethic that you grow up with um, and you take that through your life. You know, I, I know I've taken it, so has my brother, through life. So when we did, went and did other jobs, worked other things, we, we kind of treated it like those things were family businesses, even though they, no, they weren't, because you just thought my job's to get the job done here, not to worry about, you know, we never thought about, oh, how do you how do you work and do as little as possible to get paid what you're getting paid? It was more about just getting the job done. And, yes. you know, that was, I feel like that was a good lesson. Cause I, and I also feel like mentally it has helped me even today because, you know, when business can be tough and it can be monotonous and it can be, you know, especially when you're starting out and growing, you've got to take the bins out. You've got to, yes. you've got to do all the crappy jobs. Um, and those, and those, you know, that, that work ethic, you don't look at those things as jobs. You look at them as part of getting, getting to where you're going, part of the goal. Um, and I think that really helped, you know, me mentally, you know, go through what is tough in growing a business. Mm. What made your mother see the a party uh, themed products as being an opportunity? Yeah, so like you mentioned, she started off as a clown and she was catering for kids' parties. And you know, her, her kind of vision was, you know, like. I'd go there, you know, her thing was to go there and help them have the party. So she'd do the, make the chocolate crackles and do all the cleaning up beforehand and after, you know, setting up and cleaning up and it's more about just having parties. And she saw a gap in terms of doing a kid's party venue, which is where it kind of started. So she did a little yeah. kid's party venue. This is pre-Maccas doing their little, their vet, you know, when they started doing parties, uh, it was about a year before that. So she kind of got disrupted by McDonald's <laughs> um, and retail was going, she had a little bit of retail in the front, which was going quite well. So as the party venue didn't go so well, she pivoted and focused it on focused on retail, which is where the kind of journey started in retail, um, and it exploded for us. So it was doing really well, and and that's kind of how it started into a party shop. When when younger family members get involved in the business, it can go, I guess, either one way or the other. It can bring the family closer together, or it can also be lots of friction. And disagreements and relationships can break down. Tell us about the transition with how you and your brother got involved in the running of the company. Yeah, look, it was definitely an interesting time. I think um, look, to start with, I guess we took over the family business was very spare of the moment 
decision where my parents just said, look, they want to retire and we're thinking of selling and then actually got an offer on the table. Um, and it was, I remember it very clearly, to be honest, one Friday afternoon, we were helping them out with some jobs and I was working at Woolworths at the time even. Um, and I popped in that night to help them out. And um, me and my brother just started chatting and said, why don't we just buy the business and, you know, I can take on what I do best, which is I was a business analyst at, an analyst at the time. So I can focus on the finance and the mm. problem solving side of that. And uh, he was a person, uh, exercise physiologist doing a bit of personal training at the time. So it was very good with people management. So mm. he said, I'll take on the staff and you take on the back office and let's do it together. We got complementary skills and that worked quite well. I would say me and my brother worked very well. The, the relationship with our parents from that point was very tricky because, you know, it, it was quite uh, difficult when, you know, you're, you're the kids in the family, um, you're calling the shots. Um, they don't like some of those decisions. Right. Um, so it was very, it was very challenging. But I think, um, you know, we were all very practical and my parents, you know, did eventually sort of start to soften up and just let us run the business how we wanted. And they, they still, look, don't get me wrong, they still give us the, uh, their two cents and, and let us have it when they disagree with yes. what's going on. But that feedback we welcome um, and we, we, you know, we always open to it. And look, it's quite a, an orthodox way of running a business in that we, we do argue and um, we welcome those arguments and we welcome the criticism. And we even instill that in our staff to bring stuff up, you know, have a go with us, have an argument mm. with us. We're, we're more than open to that because I think that's where the younger generation for us in our family, where my parents were very confident um, in running the business and doing what they thought was right, we were a little lot less confident. So we were just open to ideas and we still are. And I think we've brought that that to the table in, in terms of growing the business where we've come and instead of saying, look, we know how to run um, this business, we, we've come and said, we don't know how to run this business and what ideas do people have and, and take in all the ideas we can and then make informed decisions based on all the feedback, whether we like it or not. So we kind of have just brought that to the table and that's where me and my brother work really well together in that even when we disagree with what each other does in terms of running the business, we certainly do listen to each other and um, we'll, we'll hash it out and argue for an hour and uh, it'll be a shouting match for a while there until we, we both agree, but there's no, you know, it's, it's no, it's nothing, you know, we don't, nothing personal. It's if, if we understand that if the other person doesn't agree with us, it's because we either haven't explained something well enough or, um, or they just, you know, they, 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 they have a different point of view that we haven't seen yet. So we work through those things in, in a lot of detail and I find it works well in, you know, in, in getting through issues, you know, and I think it, I think it's, I think it's worked well for us and it's been a, it's been a competitive advantage rather than a something to hold us back. Some, some good um, insights there. I, I guess when you, when you, the, the, a lot of small business owners often will recruit other family members within their business to, to operate and often, um, have really long-lasting relationships, but you know, is, if there's anyone listening that's um, that might be in a in a family business, do you have any specific tips for them around success? Because you've managed to make that work in your yeah, family. Look, I mean, I would I would say that generally working with family probably doesn't work when I speak to other family businesses. It, <laughs> it is it is a it is a it is fraught with danger. It can damage relationships, and um, you really have to have clear lines of you really have to have a clear charter on how you're going to work together. Yes. Um, so the tip would be, make, you know, draw those lines on who who's responsible for what. And at the end of the day, if you're responsible for something, well, you get to veto whatever happens in that area. And the other person has to just accept that. Um, that that's the key. And just, 
look, I don't agree with everything my brother does, but I also don't lose any sleep at night when he makes a particular decision that I don't agree with because I think, look, I know he, he makes it in, in without any ego or he makes the best decision based on what he believes is the best decision and he, he knows his area better than I do, so I just need to respect that. Um, and you, and, and, and you, mistakes will get made and you've got you to you gotta wear that. And how involved are mum and dad in the business today? Um, look, my mum my mum is pretty much semi-retired. She comes in and helps us out with some merchandising, which she basically works when she wants. Um, and she looks after my kids. So um, she comes in That's and helps helpful. out. Yeah, it is helpful. It, it's big help. Especially well, there's a, return of, there's a return of modern slavery <laughs> for you then, isn't there? <laughs> That's true. That's true. So she, um, she does the merchandising. Um, and my grandfather does it, you know, a few transfers of stock between the stores with his dog every couple of days, and that keeps him busy. And that's pretty much the extent of it. But uh, and the advice, you know, quite often they they still keep giving us advice, keep asking questions. And look, I tell you what, it's still difficult. Even I've been doing it now with my family for ten years, and they still come in, and it really pisses me off the questions they are <laughs> because they're good questions, and yes. it, it sucks when they ask something. You're like, shit, I don't have our shit together there. Um, and they see it. To them, it's blatantly obvious. To us, yes. <laughs> we've got the blinkers on. You know? Well, you get sort of that wisdom for free, don't you? So you it's do, just a part do. of regardless. Now, look, one of the interesting things I found in researching our conversation today, the party people were an early adopter of e-commerce. And what was so surprising for me is that you set up the – up the your, your, your mum did set up the online store back in 1999. Now, yeah. th- tell us how you went about that, the challenges and benefits of, of embracing innovation early. Yeah, look, it, it, I could talk all day about it. It's quite a story. But, you know, my mum, my mum's idea, it was to launch online in 98. Um, and my grandfather, who was her business partner, was was completely against the idea. I uh, thought it was crazy to spend 10 grand to build a, a website when no one was using that sort of thing. Uh, and he wanted to, he'd rather spend 10 grand on yellow pages. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was quite interesting, the, the fact that she wanted to do that. But look, he backed her and whatever, let's do it. Um, and so we had a couple of uni students because back then there were no platforms. So they built a website for us. And my mum said to me, here you go, Dean, you're the techie kid, figure it out. Um, and so she basically gave it to me. I was in high school at the time and she said, here you go, figure out how to build a website. Yeah, it was a lot of hacking, trying to figure out how to crop images and add content and, and then even the problem solving of how do we manage shipping, you know, back then when there was no... There was no Starship it or any of these platforms. It was, uh, we'll charge, you know, $30 to Perth and $10 to New South Wales. And there was all sorts of fun going on. And then we then, then Express came along and it was like, oh, my God, how do we figure out how to do Express? Um, when we didn't have shipping systems back then. Yeah. So, you know, I had to figure out all those problems and I enjoyed it, I'll be honest. It was yeah, so it was a bit of learn as you go. Because, I mean, back then, of course, we're dealing with Y2K and, those of our younger listeners today will have no idea what some of this stuff is because, um, and in fact, there were very few um, uh, retailers online back in 1999, oh, yeah. so there was not a lot of inspiration. You were sort of having to learn as you went and make the mistakes, I guess, and uh, take it from there. Yeah, and I mean, it was kind of a fun time. I mean, I look back thinking how, how great the opportunities were. I mean, back then when we launched, we launched with Click and Collect, which was, you know, looking back, quite innovative. Hmm. Um but even then, you know, like I said, we had the regular post. We moved to flat rate, which was, again, one of the first companies to do that. And then we were, you know, again, I was trying to think, oh, well, Express, how do we get Express to work? And we had to figure out the tech to get Express to work. And then we became one of the first to launch Express post online. You know, now it seems crazy, but that mm. was like an innovation back then. You know, so it's quite a fun journey. 
Was there a deliberate focus of the party people to pioneer new technology and to embrace new ways of doing business that others weren't doing? That's a good question. I think it was It was never for the sake of innovation. It was always, how do we compete better? Um, it, it, was, it was never about sort of trying to innovate. It was just about how do we be, you know, provide what our customers want better than anyone else. And like I was talking just then about Express, it was not just like how do we innovate and create an Express option. It was like, well, we know customers need stuff last minute for parties. Mm. How, do we, how do we get Express from a t- even though there's no tech solution, how do we make a tech solution? So yes. quite often I did a lot of things out of spreadsheets and created a shipping. I created my own, what well, we, we now use Starship it for our shipping, but I created that previously in a spreadsheet that would go and you know, allocate orders based on carriers and whether things had dangerous goods or not. And, you know, a lot of the things we had to create, we had to build ourselves, um, you know, which is interesting in terms of innovating because you get leapfrogged then when the technologies do come out mm. um, and you have to then switch over. Think, you have to try, always keep on top of, well, we've innovated here, but something's better come out. How do we make sure we don't fall behind now, even though we've been a first mover? So, yeah, it was was it was always sort of changing and it's really just been about how do we help our customers better all the time how important is e-commerce to your overall business do you have retail stores as well we do have stores yeah Um, so you so you started off with an e-commerce website and then went into physical no we had a physical first um and we added the online to that business which is why click and collect was kind of easy for us to us it just you knew it yeah to, to start with click and collect to be honest Hmm. Um, and then e-commerce kind of outgrew the, the physical store, which we opened the second store. Um, and, um, you know, the, the e-commerce still outpaces the store, but I mean, we also don't look at it as, as separate businesses. They, right. we look at it as in the long run, our e-commerce definitely helps our store perform the way it does. I, I don't think our bricks and mortar store would perform as well as it did if it wasn't for the online and vice versa. Uh, I think they both need each other and, from a competitive advantage point of view, we can stay ahead of the competition if we have both. I completely, I completely agree. So maybe, Dean, when, when you reflect, what lessons did you learn along the way? Is there anything you would have done differently? Oh, look, I'm, I'm always the type of person that says, look, you, you made the best decision you could with the information you knew at the time. Yeah. Uh, I use that excuse. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, I, there's, look, there's a lot of things I would have done different, I think, um, you know, but in hindsight, hindsight's easy. I, I'm not sure that, um, I have a sort of regret decisions I made because, like I said, I feel like we make we just make the best decision we can. But look, there's a lot of things I certainly would have um, done a few things in terms of our growth. We made a lot of mistakes growing um, as we were growing. Our biggest problem was capacity. Uh, I would have done, you know, we learned we learned, you know, in the last ten years how to plan very well in terms of uh, seasons because we have a lot of seasons. We have thirty of them on our calendar that we plan for. We're a very seasonal business, so we became very good at seasonal planning. But in the early days, we were horrible and came to Halloween, I think, in our second year uh, where capacity was just wasn't there and we had to shut down our website at the Halloween and Christmas, and that was heartbreaking to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales. Uh, but look, they're the lessons you learn, and I feel like they're, you know, they're, we, we're stronger for it. And so this is it. where demand outpaced your ability to fulfil the orders? Yeah, we were running uh, 24 hours on our our site and, and just couldn't couldn't pick enough didn't have enough you know just yeah our, our journey in those first five years was we didn't have enough computers we didn't then didn't have enough space then we got more space then we didn't have enough people and recruited more people then didn't have mm. the systems to underpin and just kept going it just was a circular thing trying to catch up and the issue was planning we just we weren't looking ahead far enough to see yeah. what, what was coming and 
um, and planning for growth. And, you know, now we do that uh, much more scientifically. So I would say definitely planning. I know it sounds so boring. as a No, no, well, it's it's important. Planning. I think, you know, there's a, there's this vision also about thinking big, right? So you don't um, – that the business you sort of grow into the business rather than the business that you're growing out of the business. So I think you know, that's really good tips for people listening uh, on the podcast today. I think it's contingency planning is the key. I think mm. it's more like you don't want to over over you know prep for for growth and then burn a whole m- bunch of money and then the growth isn't there. Um, there's always that risk. But I think it's about having plans in place for when things go better than you expected and when they go worse. I mean, even for this, you know, currently we're in lockdown, obviously. Um, but, you know, we had a contingency plan for lockdown so that, you know, as soon as the government announced it, we rolled out a plan that had been planned for a month and thought through quite thoroughly, you know. So it's about having plans for when things are good and when things are going to be bad. Absolutely. What about the future? Where is innovation taking the party people? Are there any new or emerging trends that you're looking to capitalise on? Yeah, good question. I mean, there's a couple of things we've trialled in the last couple of years um, around Magic Mirror uh, technology, which is certainly very interesting to us, and scan-and-go technology. Um, both of those we've trialled. Scan-and-go, I feel like that particular technology we're trialling, we're probably a little too early, actually. Um, so just explain that for a little bit further. So that's where you yeah. walk into the store, you pick up the product, and you scan your, yourself out of the shop? Is that that's correct? It, yeah, you don't visit a checkout. You don't need any help. You can just scan it on your phone and pay on your phone and walk out. Um so we, we trialled that. I don't know how much you want me to go into that. No, no, well, tell us yeah. because I think yeah. you're concerned about shrinkage. Does that worry you when you... More, more to be honest, it's more about the fact that it's a technology we've, I guess you could argue, pioneered, but um, we have to educate the customer to use it. And as a small retailer, um, this is one where I've decided that, look, I'm ready for it, um, but I'm too early. So I'll wait right. for the market to catch up. I'll wait for... People like Woolworths and who, who are doing it, 7-Eleven, uh, Bunnings. I wait for these guys to educate the customer on that technology. Yep. And then when the customer becomes educated and can use it, then that would be a great time for us to pioneer it again or, or go bigger with it as mm. a small business because the customer knows how to use it. It becomes second nature to some early adopters and um, it becomes easier for us to, to use it. Um, so I'm not worried too much about shrinkage. There's a whole thing around shrinkage on it and how you can prevent it. It's a very complicated project and science. Um, I've done a bit of work with Walmart even to understand how they work through those challenges um, and learn a lot. I mean, the interesting thing about that is all they did was to manage the shrinkage was put a um, stop at the checkout where you just have to stop. Because people actually, the biggest problem with Scan and Go was actually that people felt that they were stealing when they walked out the store, so they didn't like using it because they felt guilty. Right, that's interesting because <laughs> we've been so trained to go through a checkout, right? So yeah, so it's about yeah, it's more about managing that. So obviously, it's it's you're ahead of the curve there, but you know that that's going to be fast moving as we know because COVID has accelerated so many trends that we should see scan and go becoming really normal in the next um, uh, few years. Yeah. You you must deal with a lot of products because a lot of lot of a lot of SKUs, a lot of um. Um, different types of merchandise. Can you give me a sense? I know you're a family business, but what sort of volume you deal with? You know the the, the number of products that you deal with um, in a store or in, on your website. Yeah, so the twenty five thousand products are super complicated because they're also very seasonal. So quite a large percentage of them, and I'm not sure what it is. Um, come in and out for a come in and out period. For, yeah, yeah, for only a few months. So the seasons are really sort of eventing seasons like Halloween, Christmas. Halloween. 
Christmas, Australia Day, Easter, right. even things yeah. like Elvis Day. There's some oh, weird okay. ones that <laughs> there you go. some people don't, you know, not not that aware of. No, well, so I we do, have, no, there's a, there's an Elvis Day. So, what's the most interesting day that you've got that you well, um you I, guys I think, celebrate? I think Elvis Day and Star Wars Day are two fun ones where you know we get this explosion in volume of Elvis products or Star Wars products on just those couple of weeks in the year. Um, but again, they have to be planned for. You can't just worry about how many Elvis wigs we have um, at that week. We've got to have you know a big stockpile ready to be able to service demand. Um, we manage I'll, all I'll, know, I'll know where to go to. What day is Elvis Day? Can you remember? Oh, it's around the middle of the year. Actually, I don't know. Okay, it's, it's, middle, it's, it's the middle calendar. of the year. It's okay. It's on, it's on your calendar. It's the middle of the year. We'll have to keep it. That's something we'll have to all support you with, I, I take Sounds it. Good. Um, that's something we'll definitely get behind. So, so having an online presence is now part and parcel, really, of operating a retail business, and it's clear that it's paid off for you at the party people. Without giving away a competitive advantage, what advice would you give to a small business who are wanting to do more in the technology space? Look, I think I get asked this question quite a bit, and I think the – the thing I always tell people is to start small. You know, people always think, oh, I've got to think big and all this. I think with online, particularly digital, you've really got to focus on winning a niche. And like, I mean winning it, like not just competing in a niche, being the figure, find an area where you're the best and win that area and then go from there. Because I think quite often people try to be everything to everyone and try mm-hmm. to grow that way. And really it's, it's not a focused approach. I think you've got to start small, focus on an area and win that win that category, win that niche, whatever that customer is you're targeting, win that area, and then go from there, build on that. So this one's one step at a time. Yeah. And you just mentioned before magic mirrors. Explain that to me because I've got this – it's not something you're smoking clearly, so what is it? (laughs) You know what's funny funny about that? People always ask me, what do you do? And I say, I sell party supplies, and they – I get the wrong idea of what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I think I'm dealing. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> so not those kind of party supplies, just to be clear. Um, yeah, the mirror is um, – the magic mirror is where it's, – it's a mirror. It's a physical mirror, and you can stand in front of it and wave your hand. And as you wave your hand, you try on costumes, or you can pick from a menu, Fantastic. pick a costume, and try it on without actually having to get undressed. And um, I've got a few videos of showing me dressing up as Batman and – Iron Man Amazing. and things like that. It's pretty good fun. Does it give you muscles and make you look thinner? That's it what does. I want to know. It does. Well, see, the costume <laughs> comes with muscles and they've built that in. It's really cool. Um, so it actually is kind of, it was a kind of, we, we launched that uh, two years ago in a pop-up Halloween store and it was hugely successful. People loved it. The gimmick was, the gimmick from people was amazing. People just loved playing with it and kids loved just jumping in front of the mirror. Well, well the, oh, maybe there's a market in selling the magic mirror. Is that, is that, um, because it's used in store, I take it to, to help people choose a costume, right? So I can imagine yeah. myself waking up to using that mirror every morning. It might um, I've had those help moments. With- <laughs> people are like, can I use that to help me figure out what to wear today? You know, yeah. like, I don't know. Like, maybe, well, maybe that's the future. It's, it's amazing because what we, we hear often, which we call that virtual fitting room, yeah. I've heard yeah. in sort of the fashion industry where for that very reason, I mean, of course, it makes absolute sense in your business because it um, – a, it stops everybody opening up packages. I oh, take yeah. it, but equally, um, it allows people to quickly choose what they what they want. So that absolutely um, sounds a sensible move forward, I would think. Yeah, and I mean, it's something we're also looking at at digitizing. I mean, we're trying to look at how we use the the, the webcam to to provide that from a digital experience too. So I think it's you know I think it's got a lot of uses this augmented reality, and it's just about making it work. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, what does the future hold for you and the party people? Are more retail stores on the cards or is it a period of consolidation? 
Yeah, look, it's probably something that's a developing story in this current COVID environment for us, actually. I would say if you asked me this question a year ago, it would be very different. Um, look, we're in a holding pattern right now uh, because COVID's not an ideal environment to be growing our bricks and mortar business. Uh, although I would say the long-term plan is to open quite a lot of bricks and mortar stores around Australia. Um, but where are your stores that, currently? Are they probably uh, in, in, in Sydney? Yeah, both in Sydney. So you've got an absolute uh, opportunity is to go national at some point, right? So Yeah, and that's the plan. But I think in the short term, um, it's not it's not a great environment for, for physical stores. Um, so we'll, we've put that on ice for 12 months at least. Um, from an online perspective, though, you know, there's still plenty of growth in that for us. So we're still focusing on that and building out a marketplace strategy and because you know, there's quite a lot of marketplaces so just trying to get a handle on mm. the complexities of that and, and being you know a strong competitor in all of them is certainly very challenging since there's like 20 of them. Um, so, yeah, so just building out our digital strategy and, and, and growing the online as well. So we're looking at both the online growth and as well as the, the bricks and mortar growth. Sounds sound sensible. Now, in, in wrapping up, the, the, the question I wanted to ask you, what is the best-selling outfit that you sell with the Thor theme character what's what's the best-selling item it's funny you know what i only came across that a couple of days ago it's it's buzz lightyear costume i don't know why Buzz Lightyear. there you go buzz lightyear is our best-selling costume there you go and what's your most favorite outfit to wear my favorite look, I, look we've got a lot we need to keep that um we can't, can't be r-rated here dean so something that's a little bit sensible from your shop yeah, from my shop. Well, then again, we do sell some R-rated ones, but um, <laughs> I, we've got some, these inflatable costumes. I've got this one. Uh, I did a little bit of a skit. I ran around the city in a, in a monkey cage. It looks like it's it's an illusion costume. So it looks like you're inside the cage, and the monkey behind you is actually fake. Uh, that's my favourite one. But there's a Amazing. few other ones we got inflated costumes. I love the inflatable. I will have to check it out. Thank you very much, Dean, for d- for d- joining us today in the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Congratulations on all your success at the party, people, and all the very best for the future. Appreciate it, Paul. Thanks for having me. I'm pleased to be joined in the Amex Lounge by Suji Sanjeevan, co-founder of Light & Glow Designs. Suji and her husband, Jeeva, are both doctors who turn their minds to alchemy. Their whole range of award-winning luxury soy candles and scents are handcrafted in Melbourne. Light & Glow's carefully blended premium fragrances don't just smell amazing, but help you to relax, refresh, revitalise and reignite your senses. Suji, thanks for joining us. You and your husband, Jeeva, were both practising doctors before you founded Light & Glow, where you started out selling your products at market stalls. Your vision from day one has been to be well-known locally and globally. You've just moved into a large new warehouse on the outskirts of Melbourne and are supplying your products to stores all over Australia and now in Japan too. As an Amex Shop Small Merchant, how has the program enhanced your growth? Sure. The American Express Shop Small campaign really is an incredible movement that's been set in motion by American Express. So it's really encouraging Australians to shop small and shop locally. Small businesses really are the backbone of the Australian economy and it's great to see um, American Express supporting us in that way. And for us, being part of Shop Small Campaign as a merchant has been a no-brainer. They really do get on the ground and help us um, small businesses. And we really have been a, a great beneficiary from the organic PR that's been a result of it. And throughout 2019, right up until 2022, um, American Express really has um, provided us that exposure and awareness that we've created craved as a small brand. You'll be featuring in an American Express Business Class podcast hosted by Mark Burris in May, which will see you chatting with Mark and Peter Winkle, the founder of Bailey Nelson, about growth and expansion. 
What were some of the key takeaways from this experience and have you applied them to Light and Glow? Uh, yes, we have, Paul. So as a brand that's moving from that startup phase to the uh, scale-up phase, it's exploring global expansion, developing um, our scent marketing agency. So throughout COVID, we took our product-based business, which is Light and Glow, um, a fragrance house into a service-based option, which is scent marketing. So we're creating custom scents for brands. So it really has opened up many doors for us. And speaking to Peter and um, Mark Boris really was an eye-opener. They're veterans, veteran business people with Yellow Brick Road and Mentored Media. And Peter's done the whole, you know, starting at markets and moving into that global expansion. So they've um, navigated those uncharted territories and weathered those storms. And so we really fed off them in that in in that kind of um, podcast. But in saying that, we were able to share our insights as a small business to other small businesses out there that are on that verge of, you know, scaling up and starting up. So it really was a great uh, podcast to be a part of. Suji, thanks so much for joining us in the Amex Lounge. Sounds like a really exciting time for you and Light and Glow. All the best for your future success. Thank you so much, Paul. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Wherever you love to connect, all the links can be found in the show notes.